Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Uh, This evening, um, we are, as was mentioned, going over Thy Kingdom Come. I ask that you guys would turn to Luke chapter 17 in your Bibles. We'll be reading verses 20 through 21. That's Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees, As to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the prayer that you taught us. And I pray that tonight, as we gather together, we would be learning from it, um, learning more about you and what you have for us. In Jesus' name. The British are coming. The British are coming. Okay. These words, made famous by Longfellow's poem, Paul Revere's Ride, were a warning to the American colonists that the British regular troops were advancing from Boston, Massachusetts into the countryside and likely to Concord in order to seize or destroy the military arms and ammunition that had been stockpiled there. This story is likely familiar to many of you. At the birth of the United States, the colonies were still under the control of King George III of England. However, Due to mistreatment of these colonies, many who lived there wished to form their own nation, apart from the British Empire. Naturally, King George did not like that. George wanted to expand the territory of his rule, not give it away. He wanted to stop the rebellion and continue growing his empire. King George was not the only ruler to feel this way. In fact, all throughout history, we see kings and rulers seeking to expand their kingdom or their land through advancing armies. Some of these kingdoms grew very great in their expansion. The conquering armies of Alexander the Great stretched from the Mediterranean Sea far into the east. The Roman Empire grew to be one of the largest and strongest kingdoms in all of history. The British Empire, which King George ruled at that time, stretched across seas and oceans. It was said that the sun never set on the British Empire due to the wide range of lands that it controlled. But there is another kingdom that advances beyond the borders of nations. Its ruler is not an emperor or an earthly monarch. The kingdom is continually growing and spans generations. And this kingdom will not end. This is the kingdom of God. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's easy for us to say the words uh, without thinking about them too much. I know I myself have kind of mumbled them along sometimes, uh, not pausing to think really about what they mean. Last week, Ryan talked about how the name of the Lord is made holy among us. This week, we are focusing on three little words from the prayer. Thy kingdom come. Despite how short that is to say, there's a whole lot of meaning to be found in those words. The first and rather obvious question that we should ask is, what is the kingdom? Well, there are a few things that the kingdom is not. The kingdom is not political. It's not an earthly organization. Throughout much of the Gospels, we see the disciples, Jesus' disciples, were often confused by some of his teachings. 
they constantly misunderstood some things, and chief among these was their belief about the kingdom of God. They continually referred to it in a physical sense. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they ask, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't get it. They thought that Jesus had come to establish an earthly kingdom, or rather, that he'd come to restore the glory of Israel from the time of their forefathers, in times of King David, for example, back when they were powerful, a force to be reckoned with. They struggled to understand that Christ's kingdom wasn't a physical, political one. Now, the disciples weren't the only ones to misunderstand this. In the same time period, there were Jewish zealots, a group of Israelites who wished to overthrow the Roman rule of their land and return power to a Jewish king. One of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. His name was Simon. It's little wonder, then, that the disciples were also confused. Even later in history, the Roman Catholic Church seemed to confuse this kingdom. The Pope, the head of the Catholic Church, didn't just lead the church, he also held political power over many nations during the Middle Ages. At times, they even used war to try and convert others to Christianity. The political presence of the Catholic Church was felt in Europe and other continents. During the Crusades, which also spanned centuries, the, primary, the primarily Catholic nations of Europe wished to reestablish control over the Holy Land in Israel. Crusaders were taught that they could receive salvation for fighting against their Muslim enemies in the Middle East. Later, physical wars were fought between nations who identified as Catholic against nations who identified as Protestant. Most, if not all of these, came about partially because of a misunderstanding about the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. This does not mean that Christians shouldn't participate in politics. As Christians, we should seek that moral laws are passed in our land. We want what is best for our neighbors, that is, our fellow citizens. Here in the U.S., we have a great privilege to be a part of the process of electing leaders and fighting for causes. But we should not confuse ourselves. We don't make other Christians by a legal or political system. After all, human leaders will always let us down. Human systems fail us. And sometimes we disagree with the leaders of our nation or other nations. And it's good to keep in mind that even when there are leaders in power that we don't agree with, we do believe that God reigns supremely over all and he allows them to rule. But when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not talking about these earthly political nations. This brings us to our next point. If the kingdom is not political, then what is it? Well, it's the kingdom of grace. That clears it up, right? No. What is that? What is the kingdom of grace? According to the Catechism, it is the kingdom in which God rules in the hearts and lives of believers. In short, it's the gospel. In the book of Matthew, John the Baptist preached, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? John was referring to the coming of Christ. He was paving the way for the ministry of Jesus. John said the kingdom was at hand. It wasn't something far off in the future. No, it was right there. And is right here as well. That's because the kingdom of grace is people living in the salvation of Christ. It's the repentance and forgiveness of sins. It is God ruling his people through his word and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each of us. That is how we can say it is at hand, because it is right here, imminent now. As each new person repents of their sins and finds forgiveness in Jesus, the kingdom of God is advanced. It grows. It is right there. But there is another reality to the kingdom as well, a second aspect to it. We call this the kingdom of glory. While we now live in the kingdom of grace, we have not yet seen the kingdom of glory. 
That is because the kingdom of glory is the eternal kingdom that comes at the end of the age when Jesus returns to judge the world, both the living and the dead. At that time, he will establish the new heaven and the new earth in which all believers will live together under the kingship of God. This aspect of the kingdom is not here yet, but it is something that is real and is coming and that we can look forward to. Okay, so we've talked about what the kingdom is and what it's not. Now we must ask the second question. How does it come? As we talked before, it does not come through a human organization, and that includes a Christian nation. I don't intend to step on any toes here, but it's important that we understand that no matter how many Christian laws we pass, the kingdom of God does not come through political means. Even if each of our laws was taken directly from the Bible and enforced strictly in the U.S., we still would not spread God's kingdom that way. Perhaps some of you have heard the phrase, you can't legislate morality. I'm not sure whether you can or not, but I do know that you can't legislate salvation. It does not and cannot come through the government. Instead, it comes through the preaching of the word, teaching and sharing law and gospel, people understanding their utter sinfulness and seeing and believing the forgiveness and salvation offered by Christ is the way that the kingdom comes. It isn't just Christian people being moral in society. That's certainly a good thing. We ought to do that. But Romans 10.14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? People need to hear the word. And it isn't just the job of pastors to share the word either. As believers, we each ought to be sharing it wherever we're at. And so then we see that God's kingdom comes whether we pray for it or not. Jesus taught his disciples to pray that God's kingdom would come. But does God rely on us in order for the kingdom to come? Is he somehow bound that if we don't do our part, he's incapable of doing it? No, of course not. What we are praying is that his kingdom would come among us. And how does it come among us? We want the kingdom to be present among us in our church, in a workplace, and in our homes. The church building is not the kingdom of God. But hopefully it is a place in which his word is being faithfully taught. Pray that those who lead would teach it well. The workplace and schools are wonderful places for the kingdom to grow. Our personal relationships with those we see each and every day gives opportunities to tell them about Jesus. And our homes, there's no greater mission field for a parent. This is the primary place in which children should be taught God's word. This is how the kingdom comes among us. What a privilege you and I have to be a part of the advancement of the kingdom. God doesn't need our prayers or our efforts to advance it, but he invites us to be participants in the growth of his kingdom. He has chosen to use his people to spread the message to the world. So ultimately we see also that the kingdom of glory comes when Christ returns. Again, something to look forward to. Our church's name, Maranatha, is a prayer that Christ would return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So we see that the kingdom of God comes, whether we pray for it or not, but we pray that it would come among us. That is through the preaching of his word, the sharing of the gospel. Here, present in this church, is the kingdom of God. It's in your homes. When you teach your kids about Jesus, it's in your workplace. 
when you share how Jesus died in order to save us from the consequences of our sin. As we live in the kingdom of grace now, we await Christ's return, which will mark the beginning of the kingdom of glory. That's eternity in a perfect world where God rules as the uncontested king forever. Amen.